Okay, so I'm reading Acts starting at three. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own prayer or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus's name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance and did as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. 
the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. All right. So, kids, I know you're occupied with puzzles, and that's okay. But I also am going to try and ask Ivan and Amelia and Lincoln, especially, and Opal and Ezra. I'm going to sometimes say, hey, kids, and I'm going to look for your eyes, okay? When I say that, I'm going to say, hey, kids, and I'm going to look for your eyes, and I'm going to ask you a question. You get to participate in the sermon today. You want to do that? Raise your hand if you want to do that. Yeah, we got some hands. We got, we got a couple. We got three. Carrie's going to do it. Carrie's in. All right. We're going to go for it. We're just going to go for it. But... The goal of teachers, if you ask a grade school teacher what their goal is, it's not to teach a kid math. It's not to teach a kid how to write. They need to do that. But what a teacher, what a good teacher wants a kid to do is to enjoy learning. That's what a good teacher is there for, is to help us enjoy learning. God wants us to love getting to know him. So whatever we can do as a church to help us fall in love with the learning process is time well spent. I also wanted to tell the kids especially that I heard something this week that really made me smile. Our kids have a piano teacher that I'm very fond of, and he's just really good with them. And he goes, I'm your teacher, but I'm no good unless I'm still practicing. I can't teach you anything unless I practice every day. So he goes, I practice my scales just like you. I practice. And when when we walk up, sure enough, we can hear him playing jazz in there. And it's just like, man, this guy practices. He goes, because you're a student, but I'm also a student. See, I'm a student of music. And I said, man, isn't that true? See, I'm up here talking to all of us, parents and kids alike, but I'm also every day trying to be a student, a student of Jesus. And I can't teach you unless I'm practicing every single day. So part of me practicing is going to be kids. You get to ask, you get to answer questions. I want you to talk at the end when we do the Q&A, you can ask a question if you want. So listen in, tune in. On your papers that you have, you have some space to draw, but you also have a fill in the blank. Do you see the fill in the blank page? And there's two, there's two things there. There's one, and when I get to it, I'm going to remind you, it says, what is the gospel? And then there's another one that has a Bible verse that some of you may have been learning. John 3.16, we're going to go over it today, and we're going to fill in those blanks. Because John 3.16 covers the whole idea of what the gospel is for you, and it's a really good one for you to memorize. 
All right, so for everybody in the room, including the kids, I'm gonna catch us up on the story so far. The story so far. What adult can tell me what's happened so far in Acts, starting if we can chronologically? I'm gonna challenge the adults in the room. <laughs> what has happened so far in Acts? Can you remember the first thing in Acts? I need a hand, come on. Jesus. Oh, yeah. The answer is Jesus. Thank you, Megan. Uh, and then leaves them. Right? Jesus talks to his disciples and then just takes off out of town. Yep. In the clouds, ascends to heaven at the right hand of the Father. Okay, what's something else that happens after that? What's another, what's another part of the story? Pentecost. Pentecost, when fire came down from heaven, fiery tongues, and the disciples spoke in language that other people could understand. What a story. What else did we learn about? What happened after Peter preached in Pentecost? We had a revival, 3,000 people. The church grew from 120 people to 3,120 people. That's a massive increase. Administratively, I have no idea. They were just totally overwhelmed. How do we deal with these people? And what does it say happened? How did they get along? Anybody? Perfectly. <laughs> Basically perfectly, just totally humiliate us. They just got along wonderfully. It was like not a big deal. Okay. <laughs> I want the kids in the room to think about the story that Noah just read from the Bible. I don't know if anybody was listening, but something cool happened at the story. We actually have a song based on it. I don't know if any of you have heard it. Peter and John went to pray and met a lame man on the way. Anybody met, learn that song? Okay, that's me. That's my church school upbringing. Can anyone tell me what happened to the lame man that they met? Any kid? We got a hand, Amelia. Okay, they met a lame man who wanted money. They didn't have any money to give him, so they blessed him and he was able to walk. Very good, Amelia. Very good. Peter and John went to pray and they met a man and they blessed him. And I'm trying to find my, my text here. I'm just going to pull my Bible out. <clears throat> and he was healed. That's how the story begins today. There's a lot more to it, but that's how it all starts. All right. What are the characters in this story? Anybody? Who do we've got? Who we got so far? We got Peter. We got John. Two apostles. And we got the lame man. Now for the adults, the easy character to miss that I've been reminding us of, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the character in the story that's hidden. We have a hidden character in the story. 
right? But the whole story is pointing toward the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God, the Trinity, okay? Everything is oriented around those three characters, three and one, right? So when we read the story, it can be easy to miss who the central characters are, and we say, oh, Peter and John met a lame man, and they reached out and touched him and healed him. Wow, I wish that still happened. You know, how do I get that power? But that the story is to explain the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has sent something that is in everybody in this room who professes belief in Jesus. It's the hidden character in our lives. And we can't always see it. But I think we can feel it in our hearts. We can feel the Spirit in our hearts, the goodness, the happiness, the peace, the love for Jesus. We can feel it when other people act like Jesus in following Jesus and bless us by lifting us to life. Because we know that Peter, at the end of Pentecost's story, what happens? The apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit, filled to the brim with the Holy Spirit, overflowing. And what Peter does is he says, I don't have what you're asking for in the moment, but that doesn't stop me from acting like Jesus to you. Okay? I get asked by somebody on the street for something. I get stopped. I get inconvenienced. I get used a little bit. And that is not going to stop me from spilling out, overflowing with the Holy Spirit and acting like Jesus to you. And so what happens, verses 3, verses 1 through 8 in chapter 3. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he walked with them to the temple courts. Then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Peter was able, with the power of the Spirit, to discern something that the man needed far more than money. Far more than money. And Peter said, money? What you need, I can give you. And it's the message of the gospel. It's Jesus, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that I can extend through you, not from my power, but because the Holy Spirit wills it. And I'm going to reach out to touch you. I'm going to extend in compassion for you and I'm gonna let the Spirit do its work. I'm going to let the Spirit do its work. Now, we in our day can reach out in compassion to people and we don't know what the Spirit is going to do. That's for the Spirit to act in power. We simply are conduits. We're channels made clean and open for the love of Jesus to flow through. And that's what Peter is doing here. He's saying, I 
am going to listen to you. Look at me. Really look at me. I'm more than money. I'm another soul. And the man gave him his attention. It says expecting to get something from him. Well, how do we know, first of all, how do we know, let's back up for a second, how do we know from the text that the Holy Spirit is doing the healing? Well, we know because it's revealed to us in the words of Peter himself. Peter knows it. And so in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, when Peter saw this, all the crowds following, he he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. Okay, and then he continues in verse 16, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you know was made strong. It's by Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. So this isn't some special, mystical, superhuman superpower that Peter suddenly has, and he can just go off and go rogue and use it however he wants. Peter has a power that is only in his connection to the Spirit. It's tied by faith. And the Holy Spirit hides within Peter. Okay, do you think Jesus has hidden himself in you through the Holy Spirit? Really? I mean, really do you think that? That when I act like Jesus, that's the Holy Spirit. That when I love my neighbor or my neighbor loves me. Kids, it's my first test. Can I get eyeballs from a few kids? There we go. Do you think that when you're being really nice to your brother or sister, or they're really nice to you and they do something you wouldn't expect them to, you, to do, do you think, do you ever think to yourself, they're acting like Jesus to me? Have you ever thought that? Try thinking that sometime. So you can be thankful not just to them, but you can be thankful to Jesus because the Holy Spirit in them is being generous to you. That's what's happening in this story. Peter says, silver or gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Nazareth, walk. Okay, kids, check these out. I just, I love finding these. I could spend hours looking for pictures. Look at this crazy picture. Look at Peter. He's got his hand up in the air and he's kind of looks a little bald on the top. I can identify with Peter. Look at, look at him holding the man's hand and he's kind of like this, right? Isn't that dramatic? That's the lame man standing up. Imagine if you couldn't stand up your entire life. And now he's standing up and he's just completely awestruck. Or how about this one? This is a fun one. Just dancing. Just going totally nuts. Can you identify with that, Ezra? That dance? Or how about that one? He walked into the temple courts, praising God, walking and leaping, it says. 
Just, you can't ignore that. That doesn't happen every day. That's what happened in this story. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about, three things today. One is experiencing the good news that Jesus brings. Experiencing the gospel. So kids, the first blank you have to write down. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus brings. Not just any good news. We have good news all the time. It's the good news that Jesus brings. It's the truly good news. Do you think this guy just felt any good news? Or he felt the good news that Jesus brings? So when we experience the gospel, for parents and kids alike, we have to think about how much control we really have over what God does in our life. How much control we really have. We know from the Bible that God is a rescuer. He is always seeking to lift people to life. God is the rescuer. He is always seeking to lift people to life. That's his character for God so loved the world. We'll get to John 3.16 later. But we choose how to respond. We choose how to respond. So if we pay attention to the lame man, does the lame man, Ivan or Amelia or any of you guys, does the guy who couldn't walk, does he have any control over whether he was healed or not? No, Peter reached out and healed him. The healing happened to him through the Holy Spirit. But we do see something, don't we? That it was by faith. The man chose how to respond. So I'm thinking for my kids, we have all sorts of things that we don't have control over that happen to us. How many people had to wear a mask to school this week? Could you not wear one? No, you don't have control over that. You need, you need to wear it. You've been asked to wear it. It's required. You can't go in school unless you wear it. That's just something we don't have control over. Do we have control over the fact that a pandemic happened? No, we didn't have control over that. We know that so well. But what do we have control over? I want a raised hand. A raised hand. Ivan, what do we have control over? How we respond to it. Parents need to hear that too. We have control over how we respond to the acts of God, whether he did them directly or allowed them to happen. I'm not going to get into that today. What happens, God has been over, authority over. Okay? We choose how to respond to what is. When God works, we don't necessarily have a choice, but we have a choice how to respond, okay? How does Peter, who has been picked by God to be the foundation of the church, how does Peter help this lame man? How is it like God the rescuer? He lifts him. It says he took him and he lifted him up. Peter is doing what God does. Peter is acting like Jesus. The Holy Spirit through Peter is doing what the Holy Spirit always does. 
He's bringing truth and grace. He's lifting the life and he heals and lifts the lame beggar up. Now, what is the response? What is the beggar's response? We heard that he runs and leaps and praises God. But maybe we missed something in the text. Did anybody catch something else that the beggar does? Looking for a verb. It's okay. Verse, chapter three, verse 11. While the man held on to Peter and John. In the, in the ESV, which I study from, it says when he clings, while he clinged to Peter and John. So he's, we, we got all these pictures, right? We got this image in our mind. He's just out there jumping. And then as he's in the, he's just clinging to them. He's just clinging to Peter and John. What an amazing response to the act of God. To be clinging to the Holy Spirit in Peter. To be clinging to what we can get of Jesus in our life, where we can see it, where we can find it, where it shows up for us and other people, and to just cling on to that. And it's that clinging that shows the heart of the lame man. I mean, think about it. Like, he's put himself right at the front of the temple. Why do you think he put himself there? Who goes to the temple? Jewish people go to the temple. New Christians go to the temple. What are they known for? What's one of the Jewish laws that we give to the poor? That we're generous. This guy's working it. This is like when you see somebody with a sign outside of like a store, a toy store, or a candy store, or a video game store. What does it make you feel like when you see that they need money? Makes you feel bad because you're going in to spend money on stuff you don't even need, right? And they really need something, or at least that's what they're saying, right? And we oftentimes will just walk right by there and they're trying to make me feel guilty, right? This guy is doing the same exact thing. He's going, this is the spot. This is the spot where I know that people will give me money. But will money cure the lame man? No. Money will not cure the lame man. And a lot of us are doing just what the lame man did. We want to be critical and we want to go, oh, I'm not like the lame man and that's just horrible what they do. And No, a lot of us are just like the lame man in this story. And we're asking the people that we think can give it to us, whether that's God or other Christians or other people, for what we want. We want some money. I need some money. But what we really want is for Jesus to heal what is truly broken in us. That's what we really, really want. And Peter and the Holy Spirit, when they lift us to life, know what we really want and intervene in our lives in the hope that we will respond by clinging to the Spirit. Okay, so that's experiencing the gospel. The second thing that happens in the story after this main event is sharing the gospel. Okay, what's the gospel again? I need, a, I need a kid to tell me what the gospel is. Did anybody write it down? Wait, I see a hand next to Amelia. Was there a hand next to you? No? Okay, Amelia, go ahead. The good news. Gospel literally means good news. Evangelion, good news. Good news that Jesus brings. Okay, 
So now Peter is going to share the gospel. Well, in a way, he's already shared the gospel. He shared it indeed. He's done the gospel. Okay? But the story goes on. If we go to Acts 3, verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Okay, so the lame man's ecstatic. He's jumping around. He's clinging to Peter and John. He's walking into a packed temple. You get a sense for it in this picture. I mean, look at all the people back that must have been back there. And there's a crowd and they are amazed. They're filled with wonder and amazement. And now Peter gives his second gospel sermon in the book of Acts, okay? Peter's already given one sermon that actually looked a lot like this sermon. And now he gives kind of the same sermon again, just like every Sunday I give you, in some way, the same gospel sermon I ought to give you, the same basic bones, right? Peter's giving the same gospel sermon, but with a new audience. And he needs to speak to them in a particular way because of what just happened. So here we see something about the good news that Jesus brings. Jesus brings good news in God's works and God's words. God's works and God's words. The gospel is both what Jesus does and what Jesus tells us, right? Because Jesus did a lot of things in his ministry, didn't he? What, okay, anywhere in the Bible, kid question, something that God does in the Bible, what's one thing that God does in the Bible that you could name? Lincoln. He protects people from dying. Do you, can you think of a specific one? No? What's another one? Um, he... <laughs> Amelia. He creates the world. Okay, those are two things that God does in the Bible. What's something God tells us in the Bible? What's something God tells us? Think about it for a second. Opal. Do not kill, one of the Ten Commandments. That was something he needed to tell us. Right, Ezra? Um, not to worship other gods. Not to worship other gods. That's something that needs to be told to us. We can't really see that happen so much as we need to be told it. So there are things about the gospel that we can see, like God created the earth. Paul says that in Romans, right? Everybody can see that they can't create the earth. They can't make life. But there's also some things he needs to tell us. Those things tend to be more like the rules, huh? I mean, there's rules. And he has to tell us the rules. Those are one of the things he has to tell us. Sometimes he also has to tell us the things that we can't see. Right? Just like laws can be rules, they can also be anything that we can't see. So what Peter does is he says, he proclaims in a sermon, the good news that Jesus brings that we can't necessarily see. Does that make sense? We can't necessarily see that Jesus forgives our sins. It needs to be told 
to us. It needs to be proclaimed to us. And he does it with this intention of sharing good, joyful, merry news. We only only use the word merry with Christmas. But if you look up what evangelize or euangelion, which is the word for gospel, what that means, it means good, joyful, and merry news. I can think of some good, joyful, merry news that happened last week for my kids. No school on Friday. Good, joyful, merry news. Not so much for parents, but really great for kids, right? But was that news that Jesus brought? No, that wasn't news that had to do with Jesus dying on the cross, with Jesus's ministry. So the gospel isn't just any good news. It's the good news that Jesus brings. It's about him. Okay, Christians have historically defined the gospel as this. This is from this little book, Ray Ortland's book, The Gospel. God, through the perfect life, atoning death and bodily resurrection, that means his body was actually raised from the dead, of Jesus Christ, rescues all his people from the wrath of God into peace with God with a promise of the full restoration of his created order forever all to the praise and glory of his grace. This is Peter's sermon. Read it. Read it when you get home today. It's that. It's just plain, pure, unadulterated gospel. Like, he just goes after it. But what we've done is we've heard the gospel so many times, some of us, or we've gotten so involved with our life, we're so convinced that what we need is money, like the beggar, or we need what we know we need, whatever that is, that we've made God small. Now I'm going to read a little passage here that Greg Gilbert wrote from his book, um, What is the Gospel? He goes this. Listen closely to this if you're a kid, because you'll go, wait a second, what's going on here? He says, let me introduce you to God. Note the lowercase g. You might want to lower your voice a little before we go in. He might be sleeping now. He's old and, you know, he doesn't much understand or like this newfangled modern world. His golden day is the one he talks about when you really get him going, where a long time ago, before most of us were even born. That was back when people cared for what he thought about things and considered him pretty important in their lives. Of course, all that's changed now, though. And God, poor fellow, just never adjusted very well. Life's moved on and passed him by. Now he spends most of his time just hanging in the garden out back. I go there sometimes to see him, and there we tarry, walking and talking slowly and tenderly among the roses. Anyway, a lot of people still like him, it seems, or at least he manages to keep his poll numbers pretty high. And you'd be surprised how many people even drop by to visit and ask for things every once in a while. But of course, that's all right with him. He's here to help. Thank goodness all the crankiness you read about sometimes in his old books, you know, having the earth swallow people up, raining fire down on cities, that sort of thing. All that seems to have faded in his old age. Now he's just a good-natured, low-maintenance friend who's really easy to talk to, especially since he almost never talks back. And when he does, it's usually to tell me through some slightly weird sign that when I want to do what I want to do, regardless if it's all right with him. That really is the best kind of friend, isn't it? You know the best thing about him, though? He doesn't judge me ever for anything. Oh, sure, I know that deep down he wishes I'd be better, more loving, less selfish, and all that. But he's realistic. He knows I'm human and nobody's perfect. And I'm totally sure he's fine with that. 
Besides, forgiving people is his job and that's what he does. After all, he's love, right? And I like to think love is never judging, only forgiving. That's the God I know and I wouldn't have him any other way. Okay, we can go in now and don't worry. We don't have to stay long, really. He's grateful for any time he can get. Isn't that sad, but true? That so often, that's how we treat God. Now, is that what God's really like, kids? Was I just reading about what God's really like? No, that was like a little fool ya. John Piper talks about this. He says, for many, Christianity has become the grinding out of general doctrinal laws from collections of biblical facts. We've made a cold in a different way. But childlike wonder and awe have died. The scenery and poetry and music of the majesty of God have dried up like a forgotten peach at the back of the refrigerator. The reality is we need to be reminded that God is big and beautiful and a creator and a full of wonder and mystery. Somebody that you can look at for your entire life and never really fully see every part that there is to see. Somebody that you can try and draw and you never get the nose right or the eyes right. That God is so much bigger than us and he loves us and he's healed us in a way that we'll spend our whole life trying to understand. So to make it simpler, Ortland puts this, he says the gospel is a message to be proclaimed and believed. That's the words. It is the point of the whole Bible. That's a big one. The gospel is the point of the whole Bible and it comes from God above. The gospel is worthy of our best. So when I grew up, kids, you'll like to hear that you don't have to do this. When I grew up, you had to wear your Sunday's best, right? You had to wear a collared shirt and slacks and a belt and nice shoes to church. You had to look just right. And the idea was that you were putting your best forward for God, right? But sometimes we lost the point. See, the point wasn't that we looked really nice for God. The point is that we loved him. The point is that we're trying our best for him. The point is that we're listening to him. So Peter in his sermon explains the gospel and in that he gives something that is alluded to in this book I was reading that we often miss. He gives a warning. He gives a warning. The gospel should heal as it does in this passage where he lifts the lame man to life. But the gospel also warns people. Who does it warn? He talks not, he doesn't warn the lame man. The lame man doesn't need any warning right now. He warns the Jewish people who come and admire the miracle and need to be warned to turn away from the things that have clouded their mind, from the things that they have built as the right way to do life. And so just for the parents in the room for a minute, this sermon actually shows you how to handle and, and tackle deconstruction. There's a lot of deconstruction happening in the faith right now. Peter actually jumps in and he deconstructs their religion so that he can reconstruct it. These are people going, I'm totally compelled, but this doesn't work at all with what I believe. 
And Peter has to show them, you've put the pieces together the wrong way. Let me take it apart with you and build it back up with you and show you the beauty of Jesus. And he tells them that their sins, if they repent and turn, let's read verse 19 and 20. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. And yes, it says blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah has been pointed for you, even Jesus. I was reading one author who said that ancient ink didn't have the acid we have today. And so when it was written down on papyrus, when they used the word blotted out, they literally meant you could just sponge it off. You could just sponge that ink off. And so when it says that our sins are blotted out, this is an amazing image for me. They're literally just sponged off. You got a fresh piece of paper. They're not permanent, our sins, with God, spiritually. They're not permanent. They're malleable. They're temporary in Christ, and they are erased. What an image of the Messiah who's come to save what a wonder. It makes us think that the mission of God isn't so much to condemn as we sometimes read. Like sometimes you read stories like, you kids, have you learned the story of Jericho? What happens in Jericho? That's the story. Now, when I grew up, okay, I thought this just was just like a magic number. You get to seven, and the whole point was to blow Jericho up, right? The whole point was like, Jericho's bad. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. God said seven. We do seven. We get them done. We're on, right? Like, we win. Think about that story a different way. Six chances. Six Full walks around the city, blowing the horns and carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. Six, six times. You should get it in one. We're going to give you six times to repent. Six times. God's mercy is on full display on the walls of Jericho. This is not a story about condemnation. This is a story about calling to repentance in light of the fact that you only live once. Right? In light of the reality that everyone knows that every day matters. And there's six warnings. God is a merciful God. So kids, you guys all have really good parents and your parents have rules for order in your house. Tell me one non-embarrassing rule that you have in your house. What's, what's somebody got that's a rule in your house? Lincoln. <laughs> What? No throwing things that are not balls. I love that rule. <laughs> That's a great rule. 
That's a rule so that there's order in your house, right? So balls just aren't flying around at the dinner or, or things besides balls aren't flying around. So you're not throwing your cars at each other so that you're not throwing food at each other, right? And they have consequences probably for when you disobey, huh? There's probably a consequence for when you disobey. But let me tell you this, when you've accidentally disobeyed, do your parents give you the consequence? Don't nobody say yes. When you accidentally disobey, they don't give you the consequence. Why do you think that is? You disobeyed, you did the bad thing, and you didn't get the consequence. Why do you think it is, Amelia? Because you didn't mean to. There's a difference between hearts that want to disobey and want what they want more than what God wants and hearts that want what mom and dad wants but mess up. See the difference? God knows that difference. God can see inside of you in a way that you don't even know you. And he knows your heart and he is interacting with your whole life asking for you to respond just like your mom and dad. So when he forgives you, he's showing you his love so that you get that he's not a mean guy and he's not out to get you, but he wants you to listen. Let's look at the effect of Peter's sermon in the story. Chapter four, verse one through four, the priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees, we'll talk about them in a second, came to, up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Who, this is a question for the kids, who in this story is like Zacchaeus. Well, first tell me what I just said. What happens in the story? Somebody besides Amelia, Lincoln. Okay. They get thrown in jail for healing the lame beggar. They get thrown in jail. But what else happened? Did anyone listen while I was telling the other part? A whole ton more people believe in Jesus. Now, who do you think is like the rich young ruler in the story? Who's a little bit like the rich young ruler? Lucy. The people throwing him in jail. Who's like Zacchaeus in the story? It's the, the beggar? Yeah. Well, the beggar's definitely like Zacchaeus, for sure. But the people who believe are a lot like Zacchaeus as well. They were, they killed, they were part of the crowd going, kill Jesus. They're going, oh yeah, Jesus guy's getting crucified at like five tonight. Yeah, it should have happened a long time ago. That's the people that are repenting and believing in Jesus. They've, 
They're the cheaters. They're the selfish ones. They're the ones who know that they don't deserve it. Right? And yet the gospel is shared with them. And they respond by turning and repenting. The gospel astounds them. They run together to see the man clinging. And they respond in joy and repent. And they join the church. Okay, the other people, the people who threw them in jail were the Sadducees or the temple leaders. Okay, they are told that they hear or catch word of the same sermon. You know, because it says... They seized Peter and John because it was evening and put them in jail until the next day. But many, oh, sorry, sorry, right before. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They knew the sermon. They knew what was being said. And when the gospel is shared with people like the rich young ruler here, or people like the Sadducees, their response, the rich young ruler was sad. It says in the translation I read that they were annoyed they were annoyed. Jesus' deal got in the way of their goals. Jesus' stuff was a, was a problem, a distraction. So for us, for, for us, just for a second, we need to know who the Sadducees were. The Sadducees were rich. They were wealthy. They were comfortable. And they didn't believe in any resurrection of any kind, much less... In Jesus. And so this really got in their way. And they reacted with a heart that didn't change to turn and love God, but with a church that just said, I, I deserve what I want. You know, when you dig your heels in, you know what that means? Like say that you think something's unfair that's happened and you just won't let it go. That's kind of what the Sadducees did. Okay, so let's Let's get through this. The third thing that I wanted to talk about for a moment is that the problem here is the same gospel is shared to the Sadducees, to the lame man, to the crowds. The problem is in how it's recognized. The reaction is based on what people think it means for them. So for us as adults, I think there are times in which the good news of the gospel will feel like bad news. There are times when the good news will feel like bad news, okay? That's probably a sign of where your heart is. Check the good news. Is it the actual good news? If it feels like really bad news, then check your heart. Then have somebody else check your heart. Because the Sadducees are recognizing not good news. They're hearing the same good news, but they're hearing for them bad news. For the rich young ruler, he's hearing bad news. Right? And in this way, back to what Ortland talked about when he talked about the, the God that we've created. We've created a God whose gospel will not cut down. But the gospel cuts down and the gospel raises up. Just as your parents tell you, and sometimes they say, you need to go to your room. You need to think about this. You can't do this anymore. That feels like bad news. Right? But actually, it's good news. You have a parent who is loving you. You have a parent who's trying to help you become the person that is more like Jesus. And that's the same thing God is doing with us. We need to recognize the whole gospel. 
But we know that because of sin, that that gospel will disrupt and divide us from the sinful parts of ourselves, just like it did in the Garden of Eden, right? With Adam and Eve. Because what happened? Why did they eat the fruit? This is for anybody. Why did they eat the fruit? The bad guy snake told them to. And did they believe him or not believe him? They believed him. And what did he say they would become like if they ate the fruit? They would become like God, right? And that they would get to decide what's good and bad. They wouldn't have to listen to what he said is good and bad anymore. They get, to, they get to call the shots. They get to make the rules. Every kid would love that, right? We all want to make the rules. But that's sin in us that wants to call all the shots all the time and make all the rules. So our Bible, sometimes it's a little old-fashioned. But you might meet some adults who call this their sword. The sword of truth, it's called. The gospel divides. The gospel cuts. You will have friends who are Christians. You'll have friends who aren't Christians. Some of them won't understand. Some of them will get mad that you believe in Jesus. Because the gospel divides. And some of them don't want somebody telling them what to do. But we know that what God tells us to do is to instruct us and lift us to life. That's the good news of Jesus. All right? Okay. You're learning a memory verse, and then I'm going to wrap it up. You're learning a memory verse in your upstairs that you're just starting. It says, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, is a God compassionate. And that's all you've learned so far, right? A God compassionate and gracious. Compassionate and gracious. Okay? Now, I want you to listen to this for a second. This is John 3.16. Okay? Let me see if I've got it here or if I skipped it over. Yep. Okay. You can say it along with me if you know it, adults. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to help you, Amelia. I'm going to put it up there so you guys can read it. For God so loved the world. For God. Which God? Who? What God? A God, Lord, Lord, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, a gracious God, so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The whole gospel is in here. The whole gospel is in this verse. Okay, for parents, we've got creation We've got a God who's over the world. We've got a God behind and above the world who created it. He loves his creation. That's the first part of the gospel. The second part is the fall. That we're destined to perish unless. It's right there in the text. Okay? But also in the fall, God loved the world the whole time. We were given choice out of love. It's all part of the plan. And three, redemption. He so loved that he gave Jesus. And whosoever, it's open to anyone, believes into him, 
That's redemption. The fourth part is renewal, that he sent Jesus into this world and then sent the spirit into us in this world as a renewal process, a now and a not yet. It's not gonna be complete in our lifetime. It's not gonna complete until he returns when he makes it complete. But he gave and sent his son for everybody so that they won't perish. The mission of a Christian is to share the love of Jesus with them because we don't want them to perish. And finally, restoration, but have everlasting life. So this is a lot, you guys. I'm giving you a lot today. I'm gonna wrap it up. There's more we could talk about, but if you have your sheet, copy that down. That'll be a verse I'm sure that we'll be learning upstairs. Okay, what's the gospel? What's the gospel, Ezra? What's the gospel, you remember? I'm putting you on the spot, it's okay. The gospel is the good news that Jesus brings. And John 3:16 tells us the gospel. What did Peter do in this text? He taught the gospel. What happened when he did it? People got a chance to decide what they wanted to do with it. And God hopes that everyone would repent and believe. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this family that we have at this church. We thank you that your spirit works despite the words that come out of my mouth. And I just pray that uh, what, what was experienced here would help change us all, that we would enjoy teaching and learning and being students. Thank you for everybody here in Jesus' name. Amen.